Sorry, Ben. Maxwell House is coffee you can count on. Maxwell House, good to the last drop. Maxwell House is good taste. Maxwell House is good feeling. Good to the last drop. Maxwell House. Maxwell House, coffee you can count on. Always smells good, always tastes good, always good to the last drop. Maxwell House is good, good to the last drop. Maxwell House. means offering your best. Somewhere deep in the heart, you'll find Maxwell House. Always has and always will be good to the last drop. Good to the last drop. So we are talking this morning about finishing well. Kind of finishing the race well. We're finishing up this, this series where we have used ad jingles and we are kind of talking about how do we finish well. So I think that incorporates us dealing with what God gives us. Now there is, I, I read about this recently, I'd, I'd heard about it years ago and I read about it recently and it, it kind of got me thinking about it again. There is a restaurant in Washington, D.C., and it might not be there anymore because I was trying to find it and I couldn't, where they have, outside of the restaurant, they have a menu that's kind of posted, and they've got seven or eight things that they offer to eat, and that's it. And when you walk in the door, the owner stands there, and he acts kind of as the, the, the host or the maitre d', and he stands there, and he will greet you, and he will take you to a table, and then he will go to the kitchen and tell them what to make you. And then they will bring that to you. You don't get to choose what you're going to eat. He brings you what you are going to eat. And he decides what you are going to eat. And he is supposed to be really good at kind of sizing people up and taking a look at them and guessing. And, and like I said, they've only got seven or eight things. So if you're on the sidewalk and you look at those seven or eight things and decide you don't like any of them, you're, you're probably not in for a great meal if you go in there. But if you like all of them, well, then it's just going to be a happy surprise. Whatever they bring you, you're going to like. And I'm not really a conspiracy theory guy, but I've known several people that have worked in restaurants, and I know that often when you go into a restaurant and they tell you what the specials are, that, that's not necessarily the food they're most excited about. That's the food they have a lot of, and that they would like to push out because they've had it for a while and, and it hasn't gone bad, but they would like to use it up before it goes bad so they don't have to take a financial loss on it. So I'm thinking as, as this guy stands there and as he sizes you up and as he decides what's best for you to eat, is there maybe a possibility that he knows what there's a lot of in the kitchen and he's the owner. So is he kind of taking care of himself a little bit by deciding well, we're, we're really going to push the hamburgers today because we've got a lot of hamburger back there. And, and in that kind of self-serving way, he's giving you not necessarily what you've wanted, but what he knows that you need, but maybe he knows that you need it because he's got a lot of it. 
And, and as, as I'm thinking that, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, that's, that's a little bit like God. It's not a perfect analogy, but God gives us what he wants us to have, what he knows we need, but he doesn't always give us what we want. There's not a person in here that hasn't spent time in prayer for something and then you didn't get it. Or you spent time in prayer for something not to happen and then it happens anyways. We've, we've all got that as part of our story. And that's, that's God. See, God sees the world very differently than we do. We tend to go through life very self-centered. That's just our nature. And we think about the things we want. And we think about, when we think about God as believers, very often we think about the ways we want to serve him. We think about how we want our testimony to be. We think about how we want to have a, a way that we love our neighbors. And God knows us better than we know ourselves. And, and he looks at us very differently. So he gives us opportunities, not to necessarily get what we want, but he gives us opportunities to serve him. He gives us opportunities to worship him. He gives us opportunities to draw near to him. And see, that, that serves his desires. He created humanity, not so that we could be here and have smartphones, or not so we could be here and enjoy football season. He created humanity because he wanted to be in fellowship with us. He wanted to be near us. That's what the Garden of Eden was. That was his desire that we would be in the garden with him and that he could come to the garden and fellowship with us. And he put the, the tree of knowledge in that garden, not as a trap. I know when you're, when you're young and you, you begin to, to read this story in Genesis for the first time, when we go over it with children's ministry, even as a teenager, I wrestled with this idea of, isn't this tree of knowledge kind of like a trap? Wouldn't it have been better if he just didn't put that in there? And then he could have had fellowship with us, and we could have just run through the garden doing anything without worrying about doing the wrong thing. But he didn't put that there as a, as a trap for Adam and Eve. And, and I know Adam and Eve, boy, they, they take a lot of blame for what happened, but... If Adam and Eve hadn't pulled that fruit off of the tree, it would have been one of us sooner or later. Somebody would have done it. But he didn't put that in there to trap them. He put that in there to give them a choice. Because he wanted to experience fellowship with them and, and to joyfully celebrate that fellowship. And he knew that he could joyfully celebrate it best if they had a choice. Whether they were going to fellowship with him or whether they were going to grab that fruit and try to do it their own way. It's, that's, that's almost like we, we want that choice in our lives. That would almost be like going on a job interview and, and taking a gun with you. And threatening the person who's interviewing you, hey, hire me or I'm going to shoot you. Well, then you're not going to take joy in getting that job because you're not going to be able to walk around and say, you know what, I was hired because of my merit. I was hired because of my knowledge or my skill. No, you were hired because that guy was afraid. 
So that that tree was there to give Adam and Eve choice so that they could choose whether or not they wanted to be with him or whether or not they wanted to do it their own way. And that was the choice they ultimately made. It's the, it's the choice that we struggle with making on a, on a real regular basis. So he desires to be with us. He desires to give us those opportunities to draw near to him. And I think that if we want to finish well, if we want to embrace a Christian life that finishes well, then that means we need to get good at celebrating what he gives us, not just when it lines up with what we want, but celebrating what he gives us when it's not what we want. Celebrating what he gives us when it's not our heart's desire. I think we've got a really good example of that in the book of Genesis. Early on, chapter 22 in Genesis. You know this story, I'm sure. Uh, starting in verse 1 of chapter 22. After these things, God decided to test Abraham's faith. God said to him, Abraham. And he said, yes. Then God said, take your son to the land of Moriah and kill your son there as a sacrifice for me. This must be Isaac, your only son, the one you love. Use him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains there. I will tell you which mountain. In the morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took Isaac and two servants with him. He cut the wood for the sacrifice. Then they went to the place where God told them to go. After they traveled three days, Abraham looked up and in the distance he saw the place where they were going. Then he said to his servants, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go to that place and worship. Then we will come back to you later. Abraham took the wood for the sacrifice and put it on his son's shoulder. Abraham took the special knife and the fire. Then both he and his son went together to the place for worship. Isaac said to his father, Father, Abraham answered, Yes, son. Isaac said, I see the wood and the fire, but where is the lamb we will burn as a sacrifice? Abraham answered, God himself is providing the lamb for the sacrifice, my son. So both Abraham and his son went together to that place. When they came to the place where God told them to go, Abraham built an altar. He carefully laid the wood on the altar. Then he tied up his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached for his knife to kill his son. But the angel of the Lord stopped him. The angel called from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. Abraham answered, yes. The angel said, don't kill your son or hurt him in any way. Now I can see that you do respect and obey God. I see that you are ready to kill your only son, your only son, for me. Then Abraham noticed a ram whose horns were caught in a bush. So Abraham went and took the ram. He offered it instead of his son as a sacrifice to God. So Abraham gave that place a name the Lord provides. Even today, people say, on the mountain of the Lord, he will give us what we need. If you know that story, if you know the story of Abraham, he had wanted a son, and this was his only son. Not that killing your child becomes easier if you've got 12 children. Although I've talked to a lot of parents who... The more kids they have, the more willing they are to give one or two or or three of them up. As a youth pastor, my wife and I have been offered a lot of teenagers over the years. Take them. Take his sister, too. Take all of them. 
But this was his only son, the one he had prayed for, the one he had wanted, the one he loved so much. And God said this, that you love so much, that you wanted, that I have already not only promised you, but made promises about, go and sacrifice this. And Abraham, he didn't debate, he didn't argue, he didn't, he didn't try to come up with another plan, he didn't try to wiggle out of it, he didn't, he didn't try to negotiate with God. He did what he had been commanded to do. He obeyed. See, Abraham had faith and he wanted to finish well. And part of finishing well, it's to have that faith. And you have faith through obedience. Even when we don't understand what God is doing. Because, again, there hasn't been anyone in here that hasn't sensed God begin to move in answer to your prayer and answer to prayers of the other people. And you just can't quite figure out what God's doing. I mean, it's really easy to say, God, I know you're in charge. But it's a lot harder to say, God, I know you're in charge and I'm going to be okay with this. Because we look sometimes at, at how God allows things to unfold and we just don't get it. I have stood with, with parents as they bury a child. And I always, every time, struggle for words of comfort because I know God is in charge. And I know he is going to use that. I know that he can use that. But I look at that and I, I just, God, how is this the best? How does this make any sense? I see people that, that have pain in their life. And I'm not talking about they, they, they hurt their shoulder somehow. But I'm talking about real physical pain or real emotional pain. And it is awful hard for me to say, well, I know God is in charge. So, so yeah, just deal with it. It's part of God's plan. I know that and I believe it. But I still kind of get hung up on it sometimes because... I want a second guess and I want to say, God, couldn't we work this out a little bit better? Win-win so it's good for them and good for you. And, and I forget that God is looking at it in a different way. What God wants is fellowship with us. And since the fruit came off of that tree of knowledge, the only way he can have fellowship with us is if we go to heaven. And the only way we can get into heaven is if we are covered by the blood of of that perfect sacrifice, Jesus. Because we have sinned, we've all sinned, we have sin in our lives, and, and God cannot be in the presence of sin. So we can't come into heaven if we have any sin. We have to have that covered by the blood of Christ. What he wants is fellowship with us, which means he wants us to accept Christ so that we can have fellowship with him, and he wants for us to lead a life that points other people towards that relationship with Christ so he can have fellowship with them as well. So when we don't understand what God's doing, maybe that's what God is doing. Maybe that is the testimony God is putting in your life that you, you're going to go through something that you don't understand that you have prayed to avoid and it is going to land on you anyways but that's because your testimony through that, 
That is what's going to cause Zach to draw near to the Lord. Because God doesn't just want you, Sam, but he wants fellowship with Zach as well. And if your painful testimony is what draws Zach in, God will do that so he can have that relationship with Zach. And we often look at it through our eyes. Well, why is Sam going through that? We don't always understand Sam's going through that so that God can reach Zach. So in what way is God calling you to, to obey? Hebrews 11 talks more about Abraham and Isaac, verses 17 and 18. God tested Abraham's faith. God told him to offer Isaac as a sacrifice. Abraham obeyed because he had faith. He already had the promise from God. Or he already had the promises from God. God had already said to him, it is through Isaac that your descendants will come. But Abraham was ready to offer his only son. He did this because he had faith. He had faith in that moment where it had to feel to him like God was contradicting himself. He made a promise about what's going to happen with his son. And now he is saying, sacrifice your son. And Abraham obeys. He exercises his faith. How is God calling you to obey? I am, I am taking it on faith, so to speak, that we all want to finish well. We all want to stand in front of our king someday and have him say, your spiritual life was good to the last drop. Every drop was good all along, and even that last drop was amazing and savory and delicious and perfect. That's what we all want. So how is he calling you to obey? Jumping over to Hebrews 12. The first three verses are so powerful out of Hebrews 12. We have all these great people around us as examples. I'm talking about all these examples that were listed in Hebrews 11. Abraham and Isaac were just, just one part of that. We have all these great people around us as examples. Their lives tell us what faith means. So we too should run the race that is before us and never quit. We should remove from our lives anything that would slow us down and the sin that so often makes us fall. We must never stop looking to Jesus. He is the leader of our faith, and he is the one who makes our faith complete. He suffered death on a cross, but he accepted the shame of the cross as if it were nothing because of the joy he could see waiting for him. And now he is sitting at the right hand of God's throne. Think about Jesus. He patiently endured the angry insults that sinful people were shouting at him. Think about him so that you won't get discouraged and stop trying. Do you see what, what I've been getting at here? The key to finishing well is obedience. And the key to obedience is faith. Pastor Mark has given us a great foundation this morning in the what of this passage. It's obedience that God wants. It's obedience through faith. He's given us some godly examples. Talked about Abraham and Isaac. Took the scriptures and opened up and showed us what they what their life looked like and how it was worked out. But what this passage in Hebrews 12 does for us is it gives us a set of 
directions about how we can do that in our own life. See, it's one thing for me to tell you all about what happened in Abraham and Isaac's life. It's another thing for me to tell you what Sam's life has been like. Or, or what Zach's life, you know, victories he's seen. Or your life. Or my life. But how do we get there? That's the question at hand for the moment. How do we move to this place? How do we practically live out our lives today and in the days ahead that we can look back at the end of our life and say, it was a life lived well. It was a life lived of obedience by the faith that God had given So I want to walk through that thought process for just a couple of minutes. In Hebrews chapter number 12, it tells us a couple of things that will really help us if we'll put them into practice. He says, we all have these great people around us as examples. Their lives tell us what faith means. So we too should run the race that is before us and never quit. We've seen the examples. Now we're called to follow that. And here's what he says. We should remove from our lives anything that would slow us down and the sin that so often makes us fall. I think the first thing you got to do, you got to be honest about. We were talking about Israel this morning talking about Hosea. Israel wasn't honest with themselves. They weren't honest before God. We have to purify our lives. I don't care where you are in your walk. I don't care what age you are in your life. There are things in your life that are not purified before God. God calls us to live sinlessly. Now we do that by the power of Christ. We are in this transition, what he was talking about, what this transaction that happened when, when we were born again by the Spirit of God. Our sin was removed. It was paid for. It was covered by the blood of Christ. And we received the righteousness of Christ. So therefore, in a spiritual way, we are sinless in the new man. But this whole man's carrying around a whole bunch of garbage and a whole bunch of baggage. And we're to be putting that away. He says, remove the sin that so often makes you fall. What do you think about that? I, I know about you. I know about me. There, there, there's a, a passage in uh, 1 John uh, 2.16, it says uh, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. It talks about three categories of sin. And, and I think honestly, if you really wanted to break it down, your sin and my sin fall into one of those categories. Amen. Your sin and my sin fall either into the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the pride of life. And here's what I know about you and I. 
And I know this because I know this about me and I've talked to enough people to really believe this. If you'll get honest with God, you'll, get, you'll just get face forward with God and say, God, show me what my sin is that, that tends to make me fall. What's the, what's the thing I trip over? God will point it out. As a matter of fact, I believe probably most of us in this room know what it is already. I mean, it came to your mind when I started talking about that. It was the lust of the flesh, something in that, that you want in your flesh that God said, no, don't eat from that tree. You can't have out of that tree. But I want that tree. No, you can't have that tree. But I want that tree. Now, I, I, I laughed because I, I thought of Piper. But I want, <laughs> you know. But isn't that what sin is? Or the lust of the eyes. I see that. That's better than what I got. I got all the other trees, but I want that tree. Not, not just, just the lust of feeding my, my desire. There's something better that I want. Or the pride of life. I don't need any of that. I got me. I mean, you know, there, there's these things that, that, that are sin in our life. And I don't think there's anybody sitting here and maybe even anybody else online watching us that is a believer that doesn't know that sin should be put out of our lives. And I, I suspect most of us are willing for that. But are we actively doing anything about that willingness? Are we making the effort? He didn't say, I will remove this sin. He said, for you to remove your sin. But I want you to step farther than that. Not just sin. Listen, it, I want you to think about your spiritual walk with Christ for a minute. Are you willing to sacrifice your sin? I think everybody in here, whether it's true or not, would be willing to say yes. I'm willing to sacrifice my sin. I want sin out of my life. But what about this? What about removing anything from your life that would slow you down? It's not sin, but it is hindering you. Are you willing to get rid of that too? This is what I'm talking about purifying your lives. You're running. You know what a purifier does? It takes, like you're talking about a water purifier. It takes water that has impurities in it and it runs it through things, charcoal or some other natural or unnatural ingredient, and it filters it so that what comes out is purified. Are you willing to run your life through God's filter and let Him take away the things that aren't good for you, that aren't helpful to you? Are you willing to say, you know, there's nothing wrong with this thing over here. It's not sin, but it's slowing me down. It isn't helping me. It isn't helping me to be closer to God. It isn't increasing my faith in Him. It isn't causing me to walk closer to Him. It's just stuff. The example here kind of comes from, or not this example, but they drew from the Olympics, drew kind of from that example. When, when you're training back in the old days, they would cut away everything that they could in their clothing. As a matter of fact, they tell me in the very beginning, 
that back in the Greek days that they ran with nothing on. I'm not sure that would be all that helpful, but you know, whatever. But they would they would race without anything that would cut down their their timing, their ability to do what they could. Look at today at the people that, that speed skaters and racers and swimmers. They wear that that so it's so skin tight that it's as if it was skin. Why? Because they're cutting the drag. Just to keep that that extra tenth or hundredth of a second. Why? Because they want to pull that away. Are you willing to purify your life? That's what he's calling us to in this passage. Are you, do you want to finish well? Do you want to be obedient by faith? Then you've got to cut some stuff out of your life. You've got to purify yourself. You've got to go to God and say, filter me. So how do we do that? How do we do that? Verse number 2 says we must never stop looking to Jesus. Never stop looking to Jesus. Not at Jesus. To Jesus. There's a difference. I think it's great to never stop looking at Jesus. But when you look to Jesus, what you're saying is this is where my help comes from. That's the way the psalmist said said, My help comes from the Lord. My, My life is being being undermined and distressed by the world I live in, but I'm looking to Jesus to be my helper, to be my strength. How does He do that? Well, He's our example. He's the leader of our faith, the Scripture says here. He is the leader of our faith. He's the one who makes our faith complete. Romans 8, 28 through 30. Most of you all know what 8, 28 says. It's, it, it talks about um, this great hope that we have. But I want you to read, I want to read this passage to you out of this uh, ERV. Uh, just a, a great passage. Romans 8, 28 through 30. Listen to what it says. We know that in everything God works for the good of those who love Him. These are the people God chose because that was His plan. God knew them before He made the world and He decided that they would be like His Son. You're going to be like Jesus. I'm going to be like Jesus. The filtering process. Sanctification in this life. That's what we're talking about. God knew them before He made the world and He decided that they would be like His Son. That's Hosea for you right there, Miss Wanda. That's a Hosea passage. He he knew him. He knew it. He knew what Steve was going to be like. Loved him anyway and chose him. He decided they would be like his son. Then Jesus would be the firstborn of many brothers and sisters. God planned for them to be like his son. He chose them and made them right with him. And he made them right. He gave them his glory. He is not only our example, he is the leader of our faith, and he's the one who makes it complete. He's the one who allows us and strengthens us and and has completing in us what has been done. The old man will never do anything. It's the new man in us that is working us towards this purification. If you have a desire to be right with God today, if you're you're sitting here saying, you know what, preacher's right, I want to filter my life this week. You know where that comes from? Spirit of God. That's not the old man. You're not saying that because you've been saved a while and you're, you're, you know, hey, I'm getting better. 
The old man never gets better. It's the new man in you. Listen, never stop looking to Jesus. Why? Because he is the faith, he is the example of faithful suffering. We don't talk about suffering much in the church in America. We, we don't talk much about what it means to suffer in this church. In fact, as a matter of fact, if you talk about suffering much in a church, you end up with a church that's a whole lot less than what we even are. Because suffering is not a fun subject. But if you go to the Word of God, you look at the Word of God, and you look at the church of the New Testament, what do you see? Suffering. What do you see called for? Suffering. It is one of the tenets of the church to faithfully suffer. Back to Romans. Romans chapter number 5. Romans chapter number 5 gives us a perfect example of that. We have been made right with God because of our faith. So we have peace with God through Lord Jesus Christ. Through our faith, Christ has brought us into that blessing of God's grace that we now enjoy. It's that faith we're talking about. Living a life of faith. And we are very happy because of the hope we have of sharing God's glory. And now we are also happy with the troubles we have. Wait a minute, why didn't you just stop at verse 3? I'm happy about sharing in Christ's glory. Oh no, we are also happy with the troubles we have. Why? Are we happy with troubles? Because we know that these troubles make us more patient. And this patience is proof that we are strong. And this proof gives us hope. And this hope will never disappoint us. We know this because God has poured out His love to fill our hearts through the Holy Spirit He gave us. Never stop looking to Jesus. He's the example of our faith. He's the example of how it is to suffer obediently before God. He's the example of the reward that we will receive if we walk faithfully before God in our passage. He tells us, think about Jesus. He patiently endured the angry insults that sinful people were shouting at Him. Think about Him so that you won't get discouraged Stop trying. Think about Him. Meditate. It's not just a matter of thinking about Jesus. This, this idea of think about Jesus, the, the, the idea is there to meditate. To consciously dwell on who Jesus is. What Jesus has done. What Jesus will do. One of my favorite passages in all of Scripture Paul wrote to the church at Colossae. Colossians chapter 3. You were raised from death with Christ. So live for what is in heaven. You were raised from death with Christ. So live for what is in heaven. Where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Think only about what is up there. Not what is here on earth. Your old self has died and your new life is kept with Him. Yes, Christ is now your life. And when He comes again, you will share in His glory. Meditate on Him. What do you need to meditate on? Eternal things. 
You need to be thinking about eternal stuff. I'm going to tell you the greatest struggle I have. I'm going to tell you the singular greatest struggle I have in my life at this time of my life. My age. My position. My place in life. Focusing on stuff that's earthly and not heavenly. When I find myself focusing on what I want now, you know, it's kind of time to retire, isn't it? I I need to retire from one of these four jobs I have. I'd like to just kind of take the day off. Mark, why don't you handle preaching for the next six weeks? I'll come back at the first of the year. Hey! Don't tell me that that ain't crossed my mind because it has. Why? What? Kind of like have a break. We didn't play any McDonald's commercials. You deserve a break today. (laughs) Why? Because you don't deserve a break today. Thank God you, Sam and I were talking about. Thank God you ain't getting what you deserve today. Thank God I'm not getting what I deserve today. What, What I'm saying is that if I don't think and live for eternal things, I get off track. Real quick, if I start living for today, living for what pleases me, living for this life, I'm going to get out of whack. It's the same thing's going to happen to you. Listen, you and I have been called to live for eternal things. How do you do that? How do you live for eternal stuff? There's only one way that I know of. Scripture's clear. Die to self. You gotta die. Why? Because if I if I'm going to be alive in this life to myself, I'm gonna want what this life provides. Because the old man has no other choice. The only way to live for eternal things is to die to self. Is that not what Jesus did? What was, what was it that the Scripture said of Jesus that He was faithful to what God had called Him to do, right? He was obedient to the will of the Father even when the flesh didn't want to do it. Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. I don't really want to stick spikes through my wrists. Or hands and feet. I don't really want to get scourged in my flesh. I don't really want to suffer and die. I don't really want to take on Steve's sin because I've never known what sin is. But not me. You. Die to self. And that what we're talking about here today? Live for eternal things. Die to self. In this one passage right here, Pastor Mark and I just kind of had a fit the other day when we, a week or two ago we ran across this passage talking about it. Verse number 4 says, Yes, Christ is now your life. Is Christ your life? Is He now your life? Is He why you do what you do? Does He direct everything that you do? 
you got to embrace your new reality. Your new reality is you're dead. And Christ is alive. You traded your sin and the punishment of that sin for His life and the promise to live for Him. If you got a pen on your table, you might want to pick it up and read it. Mission statement of our church is that we're a church that is proclaiming God's message by continuing following God. How do we do that? We die to self. We live to Him. Obedience through faith. How do we get that? We get it by purifying our lives. By focusing on Jesus. By dying to self. The result of that is a life that pleases God. Pastor Mark, you want to close this up? Obedience Faith, purification. What does it look like when somebody gets to that point? I've got an example I want to share with you with you quickly, and then we're gonna we're gonna finish with just one verse out of Corinthians. Um, I think Ben's got a couple of pictures. First one, young man named uh, John Baker, and ever since he was a little boy, he he loved to run. His dream was to run in the Olympics. He wanted to run on his high school track team. When he was a freshman, he wanted to join the track team, and the coach said no. He was kind of short. He didn't look like he would be a good runner. And he only convinced the coach to let him on the team when he promised that he would bring along two of his friends who were really good athletes and get them on the team. So he kind of bribed his way into a spot. And in his very first race, As he was running, he came in first place. He beat the previous year's state champion. And when they asked him, how did you do that? He said, a question that that I've asked myself for years is, am I doing my best? He asked himself that question in school. He asked himself that question in any endeavor that that he took. And while he was running, he kept asking himself, am I doing my best? And his goal was to pass the person that was in front of him. Because when they started, he was all the way near the back of the group because he was a small guy. And he passed the person in front of him and he would say, is is this my best? And he would pass the next person. Is this my best? And he would pass the next person. Until he was right behind the lead guy. Is this my best? And he would dig just a little bit deeper. And he passed that guy. Is this my best? Can I stay up front? And he won. And he went on through four years of high school track. He shattered records at his school and around the state. And even some records nationally. He just absolutely excelled. He got a scholarship to college where he continued to excel. When he was through with college, his dream was to run in the Olympics. However, to try out for the Olympics, 
the time that it would take to do that, he needed to earn a living. So he was a believer and he said, God, if if this is what you're going to allow me to do, show me somehow where I can do this and earn a living. And an opening came up for him to coach track at an elementary school, which is not the most competitive league to coach in. But it was, it was an opening that would allow him to pay his bills and survive and continue to train for the Olympics. So he jumped on this opportunity. And what he discovered was that he was very gifted at coaching, very gifted at working with, with children, very gifted at working with troubled children. And he formed two teams, one for the school and then another in the neighborhood of kind of juvenile delinquents. And he began to reach these kids in a way no, nobody else ever had. And he continued to train while he was coaching. And his, his body began to experience pain. And, and he couldn't work through it. He wasn't sure what it was. And, and he went to a doctor and the doctor ran some checkups on him. And the doctor said, let's, let's have some more tests. And then the doctor said, Let's, we're going to need to do an exploratory surgery. And when he woke up after that surgery, the doctor said to him, you have cancer. It is unbeatable. It is untreatable. And you are not going to live any more than six months. And, and he began to feel very sorry for himself, as most people would in that situation. And, and he, was a, he was a believer. He had always to- taken hope from his relationship with God. And he drove up into the mountains. And he sat in his car overlooking the mountains. And, and he seriously thought of just driving over the mountain and ending his life. Even as a believer, he thought of that because he thought, this will spare my parents the pain of watching me die. This will spare me the pain of going through all of that. This, this might just be the fastest way to end all of that. And then he looked over on his dashboard where he had taped that question, am I doing my best? And he decided that his best would be to fight. So he decided that he could, since, he was, since the Olympics were no longer an option, that he was going to put all of the energy that he had left into coaching. So he returned to coaching after this surgery and threw himself into that, and he continued continued to coach, continued to inspire, to inspire these kids. Instead of dying in six months, he lived 18 months after the doctor had given him six months to live. Further proof that God knows more what we need than anybody else. For 18 months, he continued to coach, sometimes sitting down, sometimes resting on a crutch, sometimes sitting in a wheelchair, sometimes coaching from a stretcher that two guys would carry out onto the track so that he could continue to have conversations with these kids because he didn't have the strength to stand or even to sit. At the age of 26, he died. The school that he coached at is now named after him. He started programs for juvenile delinquents, for inner-city students, He started programs for students who weren't athletic but wanted to to learn how to be around athletics so that they could maybe pursue a career in coaching. The school honored him. The school loved him. The community loved him. 
And at his funeral, his father wrote a poem that John had written when he was in high school, long before he knew that he was going to have cancer. This poem that John had written, Many thoughts race through my mind as I step up to the starting line. Butterflies through my stomach fly as I free that last deep sigh. I feel that death is drawing near, but the end of the race I do not fear. For when the string comes across my chest, I know it's time for eternal rest. The gun goes off, the race is run, only God knows if I've won. My family and friends and many more can't understand what it is was for. But this race to death is a final test, and I am not afraid, for I have done my very best. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 says, You know that in a race all the runners run, but only one runner gets the prize. So run like that. Run to win. And in our case, as believers, winning is to seek that purification, to seek that life of faith, to seek living a life of obedience so that our spiritual walk can be good to the last drop. Please join me in prayer. Lord, it is so depressing to think of death, to think of that that finish line of life. And Lord, it is so scary to sometimes think of standing in front of you and wondering what you will say about how we have lived. Because Lord, we all struggle with serving you and serving ourselves instead. We struggle with our choices. We struggle with our desires. And Lord, sometimes we struggle with the outcomes. So Lord, I pray for us this week that as we run, as we race this week, Lord, I pray that we will see those opportunities for purification. That we will see those opportunities for faith. Lord, I pray that you will encourage us to pounce on those opportunities for obedience so that we can stay good to the last drop. Lord, I just pray this in your son's name. Amen.